Hey guys, and welcome back to the JK Journey weekly podcast and professionals talk. Now, boy, oh boy, do we have some lovely updates for you guys this week and a fun-filled, useful podcast with our in-house rehabilitation specialist and performance coach, Rosie Mead, looking at the soulful art of recovery. Considering things like stress management, sleep habits, psychological health, and so much more, the aim here being to give you a nice open approach to start building up your recovery, knowledge, and insight. So let's get into it. Hey all, and welcome back. I'm joined today by Rosie Mead, our rehab specialist. Hi. And James, our project manager. Hey, Jake. And today we're going to talk about all things recovery, as mentioned before. But first, let's get into what's been going on in the community. James, let's kick us off. It's been a really busy week this week, as with the main focus being on the transition from winter, from winter season and cross countries to creating some building blocks for the ready for the summer season. Our challenge of the week was set by specialist life coach Rosie Mead and she wanted people to be thinking of their reasons why. Reasons why we wake up, reasons why we are motivated to run and train as we do. People seem to be pretty centred around the idea of self-confidence and how they could prove their inner critics wrong, which is quite interesting. It's not something I really considered, but I guess that provides really good motivation for a lot of our members. And one of the important insights we as a group we took out of this was the power of positive thinking and how that is such a core theme for finding motivation our winner was new member prudy who again was talking about positive thinking and she's also recommended a book for everyone this week which is the iron war by matt fitzgerald so anyone with any spare time can check that out it's about a hawaiian iron man who battles with motivation problems and psychology and achieve some pretty incredible things by the end of it yeah when you put it like that it it makes it sound almost almost quite casual but in reality it is it is some incredible things that are achieved there and and it's exciting to see everything that's been changing and, and how everything's been progressing in our community just the level of, of interest and engagement is lovely to see and as you say everyone's putting out some some sort of stellar performances some stellar ideas into how they're improving and uh and it makes it a really exciting thing to be a part of. So moving on to the soulful art of recovery. We were, um, as mentioned before, joined by Rosie Mead, who is, um, again, our rehab specialist and performance coach. Now, all her services are up available to view on the website if you're interested in taking a look. But we're really excited that she's here today to give us a broader overview on all the little things that we can start to think about and learn more to make sure that we're as ready as we can be as athletes. So... Rosie, what is the soulful art of recovery? Yeah. Hi, Jake. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, the soulful art of recovery. I think, you know, recovery is often something that we can easily miss or we kind of we don't know exactly what it means or what recovery can look like. I often think of it as like flossing. <laughs> like we kind of we know that we need to do it, but we don't really prioritize it. Um, and it isn't something that you can just rush. You know, you can't just kind of quickly recover and you need to kind of put it into your life. And I guess that's where the, the thing about soulful recovery comes in is actually looking at recovery You know, following on from my previous episode with you in terms of kind of lifestyle management, that side of thing, looking at recovery 
in kind of training, but also where that fits in your broader life and everything else that you've got going on and really kind of prioritizing recovery. So I think that's what I want to talk a lot about today is prioritizing recovery, the importance of recovery in the mix of everything else that you've got going on in your life. Yeah. And for for those who don't know, Rosie actually threw me off quite a lot over this one. So it's called the Soulful Art of Recovery. And, and Rosie has recently just well, last week finished her a PhD in, uh, I believe it's music therapy. Yeah, um, yeah, music sociology. Music sociology, sorry. And so by soulful, I thought it was going to be all things singing and dancing again, which is a massive, again, part of ways we can sort of bring our attention and, and arousal to higher states and things like that. But But no, this is going to be a much more rounded talk. And again, as Rosie mentioned, everything to make us better. Um, so yeah, Ro- Rosie, tell us a little bit more about, about your background in recovery. Yeah, so my background, I've come of it a kind of a completely different angle to where like everyone else might look at it. So my background is in like high performance. Obviously music, as I mentioned, is a big part and I've looked at kind of music and performance. But I really became kind of interested in this side of Yes, there's the physical side of training and actually looking at how we can become better athletes and, you know, in terms of like high performance, how we can perform at our best. And actually, it's that taking that step back. I became really fascinated by the kind of the concept that actually to kind of be at our best and to perform at our best, we also need to know when to rest <laughs> and to prioritize rest as well. But knowing what what good rest can look like. So it's not just the kind of slobbing on the sofa watching Netflix it's actually more than that and so obviously as you know I'm wife to John who is a sort of seasoned triathlete and just from experience I guess I started to become really fascinated in the area of rest and recovery and then the more I started to delve into it I then realized that there's a whole load of the kind of different research out there different experiences recovery covers so many different aspects Um, I wanted to delve more into it and I'm a complete learning junkie so alongside finishing my PhD I've always been on top of kind of other courses and completing other qualifications so I um, undertook an ISSA certificate last year last year the year before um, in exercise recovery and it it just opened my mind completely and made me think that this is really where I want to delve into Um, this is like yeah really fascinating area and again, it's it's one that resonates with us all as athletes, because in our transition from first joining a sport to getting caught up in the whirlwind of let's train hard and get fast, we almost all always will have had that blip where we've exhausted ourselves, whether physically, mentally or with injury that, that we realize. So that's why I think that this, particularly as we're as we're launching ourselves and, and yourself, the aligned athlete, it's a lovely one to let us think about organic growth and making sure we don't overstep and rush into things and and all things on those lines as well so it's all about taking it steady working to what you've managed before and and where you're trying to get to and and doing it in the right way so yeah and that kind of risk of you know overtraining it's I think often we can feel that like in order to be the best or to reach our kind of goals that we're setting for ourselves, we need to train harder and, you know, train more. And the more that you do it, the better you're going to get. But actually that's not the case. You can have too much of a good thing. And, um, and obviously we want to avoid overtraining because if you overtrain yourself or you're at risk of injury, then you're going to put yourself out completely and you're definitely not going to get close to your goal. So it is that kind of being mindful of that. And I guess it's hard because, 
as athletes, we're generally quite competitive and kind of in terms of like mindset gremlins, we have that like overachiever nature, you know, we want to achieve more and more. And actually, sometimes it's just reminding yourself that you in order to achieve that, you need to you need to have that rest. You need to have that time to recover. That's just as important. Yeah. And I think, well, I'm on YouTube lately and all these sorts of things as we come off the base season, we start to transition more into uh, this build phase where we're starting to build for events. I'm seeing much more and more sort of high level athletes and, and big profile athletes putting out videos of. 30 40 hour training weeks and and that can make it seem almost normal when realistically we're the majority of us are never reaching that sort of training unless we're on a crash week or we're on a holiday cycling somewhere and we've suddenly got a full week where we're going to exhaust ourselves but in a lovely way so I think that you're exactly right that it's also about being real and making sure we don't overtrain in that way um yeah and it's setting your expectations you know looking at what's already going on in your life if you've got there's, I don't know there's summer holidays and you've got the kids all of the time then actually that's going to be really unrealistic to then fit in like 20 30 hours of training on top and you're just going to burn yourself out so it's kind of yeah look you need to look at your lifestyle as a kind of a whole and you know even professional athletes they do have they do prioritize that kind of that recovery their sleep you know the amount of sleep that they get and we'll come on to that in a bit but um yeah it can be really hard when you're looking on the face of it especially on social media and seeing what other people are putting out but actually yeah do they have kids do they work the you know we work like 40 hours a week or whatever it's actually kind of comparing the two it's not like for like (laughs) yeah yeah and it really is the distinction between being a pro and not is being able to get 10 hours sleep or being able to come back from training have the right meal ready and put your feet up and and have a massage or relax and and unwind in in a way that's most beneficial for performance but now you've mentioned sleep there as the first one um and let's let's just give a quick overview of maybe what are the main areas that we can think of when we come to recovery so recovery is obviously made up of so many parts um but let's just i guess have a think about those little bits that we can do and how we can break it down yeah how do you think and I think that's really important for us to think about the kind of the different components so I mean stress management so I mean training in itself is a, a stressor um but it's kind of then looking at what other stresses do you have in your life so looking at kind of work training whether you're like we're saying about kind of running the risk of overtraining, um relationships other kind of stresses and actually there is a good type of stress so you stress which does happen when you're when you're training you get that kind of that that moment and we want to avoid distress um so that's kind of a big one is looking at kind of your stress management how you cope with stress how you overcome it sleep habits is a huge one so I do want to sort of delve much more into that in a moment um nutrition you know actually looking at what you're what you're putting into your body what you're fueling it with especially as you know most people listening are endurance athletes it's really important that you get that right and that's something I'm not going to advise on but I would definitely recommend speaking to a nutritionist and making sure that you're fueling right on training days on race days but outside of that as well um keeping hydrated is we've spoken about this before but that's a huge one so and a a really simple win as well (laughs) just keeping on top of how much um, water you're drinking 
um, looking at psychological health. I think that's for me, that's a, a big one is actually that kind of that mind. You know, you're taking care of your physical health, but also psychological health and having those moments where you're just giving your mind a break, because that, again, is really important. And one that we we tend to not and um, we kind of neglect it. We gloss over actually giving our mind a break and not not doing that. We can often tell ourselves that by watching Netflix, I keep going back to Netflix, but kind of watching Netflix, that's, you know, a great way to, to relieve our mind. But actually, sometimes you just need that time away, completely away from screens. Um, sorry, you asked for a quick overview and I'm about to delve with dive, <laughs> deep No, into not at all. Not at all. Fascinating areas. And I think that one of the beautiful things there that you've also highlighted is that um, we only know as much as we know. And, um, and we all have our areas of expertise in this and um and for example you mentioned nutrition and and that's really the the overview of of why we're trying to do what we do here at the jk journey in terms of bringing yourself as a professional in in this area and joe as our nutritionist and all the others and and really make sure that we cover all bases to make sure that we learn more as as individuals and and push it forward and so now we have mentioned over training and I think this is going to be a good place to start because it sets up the rest of the recovery. Um, if we train, then we need to recover. But I guess the first thing we've got to make sure we do is not overtrain. Um, and so how, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. So we, um, I think it's really important to look at that plan. So again, I'm not going to prescribe people's like training plans, but that's why it's great working with someone like the JK Journey, that community, having those plans in place where you can have that adequate rest time, recovery time, um, but also really listening to your own body. You know, it's none of the things I'm going to talk about today are prescriptive. Um, and I think that's really clear, like keen, I'm keen to get that across because in this space, you can often have people are, oh, we do have our own kind of experiences. And then that can often make us then want to say, well, this is how everyone else should do it. But actually it really is up to you. I like to think of us as kind of, we're an experiment of one. So kind of think of yourself as your own study and work out actually what's, yeah, what's working for you. Listen to your body, but really listen to it. Don't just ignore it when you're kind of, feeling that that niggle or um, tiredness or stress um, actually yeah taking time to to kind of slow it down if you need to um, and having adequate rest but also knowing that there will be times especially if you're an endurance athlete there will be times where you are kind of yeah pushing your body to the limit but being aware of if you're going to do that then having adequate rest around that I don't know whether that makes sense. <laughs> no, it does. Absolutely. And, and it's actually the, the point of topic that I'm going to be going on to next week uh, in, my, in, my, in my talk for the, for the rotations is, is different ways of training and uh, different sorts of cycles that we can do. And, and one of those is, for example, I just mentioned it was a, is a crash phase. And now you may, may or may not have heard of it, but a crash phase is where we look to for a really short period for some novice athletes that might be a long weekend um for more ad, uh, advanced athletes it could be a week or a, or a training cycle um but it's where we massively overload the body in a fashion way more than we would normally so for those at home it could be a week in in a in the canary islands out cycling or it could be a week going to france and doing some sea swimming and things like that but it's a it's a few days where you go into it rested um and then you train as hard as you can under a structure not just all out all out and then you 
make sure that you give yourself ample recovery time afterwards. And it's designed to be really efficient if you're coming back from injury. So your body used to manage loads that you would be doing, uh, and then you're going to push it back up and give it time to recover. Um, but also for those at world level and things like that, it, it can be used as a breakthrough period or, but again, it, it's high risk, high reward. And so the, um, massive risks here there is overtraining you're, you're putting several days back to back beyond what your fitness allows and dictates and so that is why recovery what we're on today is absolutely as imperative as it is so yeah definitely. so now that we've mentioned sorry you go jake <laughs> that's all right we, we, so now that we've hit on overtraining let's think about or do you tell me because i'm none the wiser than, than yourself at this uh how can we start to go about making sure that we're able to function at our best and recover? Yeah. So I think it's looking at your plan. I mean, I'm presuming that everyone that's listening or well, they're using your plan because they're part of the JK journey and that it's just checking that you've got time for recovery in there. So, I mean, again, there are different schools of thought about how often that should be, but if you're training, you know, sort of the kind of hours that, that you're doing as a triathlete is having at least one, one day of recovery and there doesn't need to be full rest. So I'll go into kind of the difference in a moment, um, but having that one day and then at least like 24 hours between, um, between training sessions, if you're doing more like light activity, um, then you can, you can do that every day. You don't need like a full rest day, full recovery um so yeah so it's looking at at the plan that you've got making sure that there's kind of ample time given to recovery and actually sticking to that because that's you know you can move your training sessions within a week you you can definitely move your recovery day but it's making sure that you always have that in your schedule um and then it's looking at actually what that day looks like i think that's the thing that can the kind of the piece of the puzzle that can be missing um is that we might put that into our diary but not actually know what a good recovery day could look like for us and for our lifestyle and everything we've got going on. Yeah. And, and within that day as well, if, if we are doing multiple sessions, it's things like I read once that a brick workout can be up to six hours apart. Now that means that in that six hours, you're not really recovering at all. And the session that you do after it is still building on pretty much the same fatigue that you left the last session. And so if you are looking to do two sessions a day, then giving it adequate time between um, eight, 10 hours is, is maybe a good way to do it. Or yeah. even just making sure that you're following that plan so that if you do do two sessions in close proximity, you do have ample rest, as you say. And that's the lovely part of a not one size fits all approach and, and being able to differentiate between a rest period and a recovery period. So yeah. yeah and I think it's really keen to get that distinction is that you know thinking of rest as that is inactivity so you know thinking of it as kind of total rest that is that time where you're you're inactive whereas recovery you know we can have active recovery so it's kind of it's all about getting your body back to that homeostasis so getting it back to kind of normal so then it's ready to go for the next session um but I think, again, it is not a one size fits all, but kind of having an active recovery day. So a day where you're you're not going hard out, but you're maybe going on an easy bike ride or an easy run, going swimming, doing some yoga and, um, you know, dynamic stretching with um, with like foam, foam rolling, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, I think that's great for the mind as well. 
is having that because also I think you know as athletes you really enjoy what you do um and so sometimes we can feel a bit lost I know from my clients that recovery day you can feel a bit lost because you're kind of you you want to train you enjoy training and doing what you do so actually having that active recovery um and thinking of recovery just as that as kind of doing what your body needs to, to kind of get back to normal and that doesn't unless you're injured it doesn't necessarily mean a complete day of rest a kind of complete day of inactivity yeah and it, and it's one thing that athletes often do get confused on and and I'm wondering if you can just go into a bit more on what active recovery actually looks like not necessarily as a day but as as an activity because it, it's quite ambiguous in its term yeah it's so ambiguous and again there's lots of different definitions I mean the, the one that I've been taught is kind of anything that's over 20 minutes under 40 minutes is something that people seem to be saying but I've been sort of again it's kind of experience but I've been told that kind of over 20 minutes like very light activity um that that kind of thing so like I'm saying you know an easy bike ride or a one a run where you can sort of talk easily you know you're your heart rate is I think what's the statistic that I read earlier it was like 55% of your max heart rate or something but again these are kind of figures that they can be thrown out there but actually what does that look like or what does that feel like to you um it's kind of finding yeah that that point that's kind of light which again can be really difficult because sometimes you might just get into it and you want to push yourself that bit but actually it's then it's just almost like retraining your brain how you think around you know those that kind of active recovery period is that it the the aim of the game for that one is if you want to think of it in terms of kind of, kind of competition terms it's then actually that the aim of it is to go as kind of as light as easy as you can that's how you're going to win <laughs> on a recovery day um if you yeah actually prioritize those kind of easy easy runs easy swim easy bike yeah and it's so easy to fall into a trap of let's just pick up the pace a tiny bit it won't make too much difference um but it really is as you say about making it easy enough so that we're not fatiguing the body anymore and it's just focusing on getting the lactic out of the legs circulating some blood flow to deliver nutrients and and the rest of or removing those meta metabolites away and making sure that we're able to recover now a lovely uh couple of studies were done where they took all the metrics away from a runner and a cyclist and and they kept them on the bike next to them that cycled along or or paired with them on a ride and they looked at what the natural state was for uh training intensity so they were told to go on a gentle run and they simply looked at how their heart rate and how fast they were going relative to their zones and that sort of stuff and an easy run would be zone one to zone two. And they interestingly found that every, or obviously it's a normal distribution, but the majority of athletes sat just on the borderline of zone three and just over. And so it, it told us that there's a tendency for athletes to push up beyond zone one and up beyond zone two to an, a time which is almost called the ventilatory threshold. So it's where you're not quite out of breath but you're working hard and that is a zone that's useful in a lot of ways but also isn't a recovery zone and it's also not an intensity zone and it's it's that odd middle ground where unless you're training for something specifically using it it's it's a gray area and detracts massively from low intensity so for people who do go out and use 
a heart rate monitor and things like that it really is the benefit of modern technology that we can tell ourselves oh we're going too hard or oh i'm going up a hill and and i haven't realized that i'm now actually out of breath but yeah and especially during that kind of active recovery where yeah if you if you kind of listen to your your brain it's probably telling you you're absolutely fine to do this you know you're feeling fine and it's not until afterwards where you think actually yeah i've i've pushed myself too far on that and then um, you mentioned about kind of self alert of recovery you know was it going to bring in music I actually wasn't but it's just come to my mind i've used this with a client in the past where he um in, was that Andy Stone he wouldn't mind me saying so he sort of at the beginning when he was training for his world record attempt he said that he kept going like too hard and his coach at the time was saying you know you really need to kind of slow it down a bit and he was struggling really struggling with this to kind of yeah slow it down take it a bit easier so we started using music so actually creating playlists around I can't remember what beats per minute he needed on the run whether it was 130 beats per minute one was 130 and one was 120 beats per minute and I can't remember which way around but I then like curated him a playlist that was music that I knew that he liked but was within that beats per minute um and he did I think to, to kind of now he's finding that he needs like a new playlist and we need to update it but to begin with he found that it was actually making a difference because he was he was listening to the music and starting to kind of slow down because he was going with the beats per minute and you can to a certain point kind of sync your your heart rate as well with the music that you're listening to um so that that's a really kind of an easy thing that you can use to actually just slow it down on those recovery days yeah and and exactly that and also things like podcasts and and things the way we're not naturally amping up the intensity with with beats a minute as you say and now i don't know the exact science around that and you may you may know more that if a podcast has a similar effect but it's a way of just zoning out a little bit and again you've got to be careful not to go up but it can be a nice way to just relax and and make sure now i think music as you say would be a better alternative to do it specifically but yeah yeah no podcast could definitely help so I think you know a lot of the research that I've looked at has been on music to kind of pick up that intensity to like motivate you to stimulate you and how on the other side podcasts aren't that great when you're wanting a hard session because you'll then tend to slow down so yeah the flip side of that is that that's then going to help on a recovery because you're much more likely to kind of yeah slow it down because you haven't got this it depends on the beats per minute that you're using but you know, if you're using music as a kind of a fast tempo motivating you, then maybe on those recoveries, you're, um, and this is the whole, the whole thing about anything to do with recovery. There's all these different aspects, you know, even as we've spoken, I'm like, music could be great, but a podcast could be great. It's really seeing what, um, yeah, what benefits you, what works for you. <laughs> and now I'm conscious that we've, we've spent a lot of time discussing one one area of this and that's the beauty of it is that it is so engrossing and, and we can talk for hours on optimizing these these little benefits but I think for today let's try and get this overview uh and because we can always come back and do an entire talk on active recovery and um and all these other things so so let's move on maybe to splitting it into two bigger parts for example uh so maybe physical and psychological as before um or a couple other bits around that um and let's let's try and uh overview this so that we can come back in the future with with that foundation knowledge to come back and, and open them books up and and get to grips with it more so how can we on these off days look 
to physically make ourselves recover and that sounds silly because physical and recovery but yeah yeah but no it's really important and I think yeah splitting them into the two it is that kind of mind-body connection Um, and that's something I'm really keen to kind of promote is that we do need to look at both of them so physical I'm gonna just run through an overview and like you said we can we can delve on probably one of these topics for a whole whole episode Um, there are lots of different things so foam rolling you know, is a great one. Doing that kind of self-massage and dynamic stretching. I think you put a post out recently um, about dynamic stretching Mm -hmm. and actually kind of, yeah, knowing exactly, I'm not going to kind of recommend anything, but I'm presuming there's stuff on on the JK journey that people can follow around that. Um, Yeah, foam rolling, definitely. Compression socks. So again, compression socks seem to be something that some people really love, and other people say that they're just kind of a load of nonsense and the research isn't conclusive <laughs> on compression socks but mm. that is I know from speaking with kind of other people they seem to really enjoy having compression socks and obviously you can have some that are designed for use when you're running um, and others are for afterwards or you can get like full compression boots which are meant to be amazing um, I don't know your experience of compression socks Jake <laughs> Yeah, mine, mine's very medical um, in terms of uh, use, obviously, in, in and around uh, hospitals and bits like that and working, working in hospitals over, the, over a couple of years, using them in that capacity. But as an athlete, it's uh, only really centered around recent injuries. So my DVT and, and leg injuries and stuff where you have to wear compression stockings to maximum or improve blood flow to the area and make sure we don't get any blood pooling or, or stagnation and stuff. And so mm. it's interesting because compression therapy, ha- therapy has so much uh, behind it. And, and there is a lot of evidence to say that it, it does do something, but equally it, there are those, those alternative studies that, that, that do suggest it's done not as strong as, as otherwise mentioned. And, um, and those boots that you mentioned are interesting because they're, 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 they're so utilized by professional athletes and particularly rugby players and things like that um, as an opportunity to particularly immediately post activity, um, almost act like an active recovery session. So when we do an active recovery session, we've got our skeletal muscle pump, which is our muscles compressing and contracting every time they move. And that helps to pump blood up the legs, for example. And now all those boots do is exactly the same thing in a, in a, in a technological fashion so they just compress and relax over cycles to push blood around and and help continue that blood flow so after activity they're really good um and then on recovery days and things you could use them in a similar fashion um but yeah there's so many little little bits again it is and it's kind of finding out what works for you kind of so that's one thing to try um all of the things I'm going to talk about are probably like a bit controversial well not controversial but just they're just so different kind of differing opinions so um Epsom salts some people say they're amazing you know the the magnesium but then a lot of the studies say well actually you're not absorbing kind of enough for it to make a difference but in my mind it's worst case is you're going to have a relaxing bath (laughs) and that's going to help you to relax so you know if you had Epsom salts with lavender or something um it's just trying seeing what what works for you um doing self-massage so i would definitely recommend going and actually having a professional massage but again you know people's budgets we can't kind of afford to go see as much as we'd love to see a regular massage um therapist 
we can't always do that so actually it's then kind of doing things yourself at home um using essential oils which again you know some people will, will think this is great others it's just not for you worst case it's just going to smell nice um and but there are <laughs> I yeah. some, some benefits but I know it's controversial um but I'll use like ginger or I'll make massage blends for John when he's done a race um kind of ginger like black pepper that kind of thing um and then actually just he'll then just roll a ball it onto sort of different um, parts of his body that he's got sort of niggles and then we'll actually use that himself uh the other one which opens up a whole can of worms and I'd like to know your experience is the hot versus cold that I've become really fascinated in this because again some people are really kind of opinionated about it's one or the other um from what I've read the kind of the research is that cold is good for when you're kind of having those like um intense training um that it will help with kind of reducing inflammation that side of things and then warm is apparently you're meant to avoid warm when you're injured so kind of not to um increase the inflammation and it's good for like uh re relaxing the muscles ahead of kind of stretching but I'd like to know your experience because it's one thing to read the studies on it and the studies don't seem to agree with one another but it's also another thing to actually just know what's your experience because it is that one size doesn't fit all <laughs> yeah and again there's so much conflicting information as you say and and i've i've read from injury that warmth as you say exacerbates inflammation and i've also read that some warmth can help the blood flow and and help it, it clear the area as such and then i've read cold is great for stopping the inflammation but bad because it stops inflammation and it stops your good white blood cells getting to it and helping that injury recovery or things like that and so you're right it's a bit of a minefield in terms of going to do your own research but um my my experience is i think ice baths are lovely um and the i've only i use them for about a one year stint um just before the europeans uh and just after the English champs. Um, now I'm, I'm by no means the highest of performing athletes. Um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm okay at what I do, but I'm no, no world, world, world-class athlete. Um, but it was one of those things that did leave me feeling a little bit fresher, albeit it was a chore to do at times, but I would definitely say that if you've got the capacity to do it, it's great to play around with and it's exciting to see if you do feel any better. And and I would possibly say it was one of those things that forced me to think about recovery more. And that in itself may have had a bigger impact or it may have just meant that on the lead up to these Europeans or English champs and stuff that I took time for myself and took that extra 20 minutes after a session to let my body unwind and not just go straight into the next activity. And so we can definitely get into more detail but I think that that's a that's the, a nice take home initially yeah exactly and I think that also just goes to show that it is really about individual experience too um so you know take all of the the kind of the opinions out there but also try you know any of the things I've spoken about as well try them and and see what works for you and it, it really is about that kind of individual approach um the other one is obviously yoga um which is a great way especially on active recovery days um is that kind of yeah i mean yoga is great for the, the mind and body so if we're looking at that mind body connection that's great and obviously with the jk journey you've got your regular yoga sessions 
which and Friday morning is just such a perfect day to do it as well, because I think it's that time where we just all need that ahead of the weekend mm-hmm. where we can just kind of gather everything together. Even just thinking about that, I'm like, ah, oh, you can just feel it like that mind body connection. So that, yeah, yoga is really important. Um, and then obviously sleep. I mean, sleep, again, covers both areas of kind of physical and mind. Um, but making sure that we're getting adequate sleep, it can be really easy for us to think, well, you know, there's loads of quotes about I can survive on like five hours sleep and a whole load of coffee. And it's like that actually in reality, that's like you're not doing yourself any favours in terms of performance, in terms of your mind, your mental health. Um, so really getting that, you know, minimum of eight hours of sleep. And if you've got a heavy training session, getting like nine, 10 hours of sleep, which I must admit, until I did this kind of course in exercise recovery, I used to really resent John, the kind of, he would tell me like, you know, I'm lying in because I really need that sleep. And I'd be like, ah, but you've been out all morning (laughs) cycling. And and I just didn't get it. And I'll be completely honest, I didn't get it. But now that I've kind of learned about it and actually realised, no, it's it's so important. We prioritise sleep. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and medically it's almost an epidemic now it's a it's a case of i think oh, the number does escape me i think it's about 70 percent of people don't get more than seven hours sleep regularly um and and for a whole population it's it's been shown that less than seven hours of sleep you're actually just running yourself into the ground and um six hours particularly is a massive tipping point of of huge under performance mentally under performance physically recovery wise and and it's about being consistent because you can never get that sleep back that you miss as you say and it's also the thing that the best athletes in the world highlight and and they do so well like Andy Murray there's a there's a claim that he does 12 hours a night minimum and that's why he's been on top form for years and years and years and and it can be reeled off for so many others that they they attribute their long-term success for the amount of sleep they get which is amazing yeah yeah and it's so important that we prioritize it and we look at kind of good sleep hygiene I mean again this could be a podcast in its own right but looking at that you know actually this is such a hard thing to do but having that time away from the screen like an hour meant to have it like an hour before bed or getting like blue blocking glasses um keeping your room at a kind of a cool temperature and um, again that's not a one-size-fits-all because I John personally likes that I don't I like a warm room that makes me sleepy um but the, the research the evidence says about kind of keeping it cool you know having blackout blinds obviously at the moment in the UK we're fine on that because it is dark but in the summer it's having yeah blackout blinds music can be another great way to kind of just relax yourself um steering clear not steering clear completely of alcohol you know if you enjoy alcohol but do kind of just limit how much you have just before bed as well because it has a massive impact on your sleep cycle um and you know like you're saying about Andy Murray sleeping 12 hours a day at night but you know it's not always possible for kind of the average (laughs) (laughs) and especially if you've got kids as well you know even getting eight hours can sometimes be hard So it's also thinking of that in terms of a 24 hour period. So if you are able to have a daytime nap, you know, do it, have that kind of 30, 40 minutes and then have your sort of seven and a half hours at night or or whatever you can get. And having a regular sleep and wake up time as well, whether it's weekend or weekday, but getting into that pattern. And it's interesting because the they found that a biphasic sleep pattern. So having a big sleep at night and then a siesta in the day is actually 
almost the healthiest way to live and it's also one of the best for education retention or learning retention and also one of the best for recovery so all the mediterranean countries are found to have correlations between sleep and performance outcome that is thought to be due to this this biphasic pattern and again it's another interesting bit that, that we'll dive into at a later point but wow. let's let's digress on to how we can psychologically think about recovery because that is something that we really do not think about as much as even physical so no and it's so important you know outside of training this is just a kind of a, a life skill really but looking at meditation so if you can making that time for like 20 minutes a day and actually even as I'm saying it like if you can there's this amazing quote which says like if you can't fit in 10 minutes of meditation a day then you need to do 30 minutes <laughs> because it's like if you're on that hamster wheel and you you don't even have time to sit down for 10 minutes then you definitely need that time so yeah meditating like mindfulness just taking taking that time out of your day to just clear your mind and you know kind of the whole thing around mindfulness like those letting those thoughts come but then also kind of letting them go um again that could be a whole episode in its own right but um meditation is a good one visualization is great as well so i like to think of kind of taking that recovery time to you could still use that to think about your performance you know actually visualizing where do you want to go with your goals what do they look like what are your outcomes and kind of actually visualizing you being in that space and top athletes use this technique as well I'm always conscious it sounds like really woo and I, I often talk about the term kind of woo but it is actually it's really beneficial um, to kind of to go there in your mind and actually visualize what that success looks like for you um, and recovery can be a great time to do that when you're not physically training you might as well kind of um, use your mind you know in in that way uh, journaling can be good as well just kind of writing down your thoughts I like to start the morning off by just getting rid of all of the crap that's in your head and actually just kind of getting that out onto a page and just clearing your head a bit um, which we often don't do and then breathing so I mean breathing obviously co covers both sides the kind of physical and mental um, but taking time out to kind of you know after training but even kind of every day to be honest um, but during recovery, it's that kind of focusing on deep, deep breaths in and deep breaths out and kind of getting as much um, oxygen in and kind of flowing around your body can be great after recovery. And as in a kind of a straight after training type thing, getting that transition into recovery. Yeah. And and I love it because, again, it's also encompassing that we do visualization and and. Uh, but I think it just goes to show that you know it's a fascinating area because there's so many different aspects to it and we often don't think about recovery in that way we kind of we know that it's there it's in our training plan but I know from working with previous clients that recovery day ends up just being a day that then gets filled with lots of other things or you're running around doing admin or catching up on on life when actually it's kind of there are all of these different elements that we can be thinking about and also not to just think of it as terms of I only recover or I only focus on this kind of mind body connection on that one day a week, but actually looking at how you can bring it in moments of your day, you know, meditating every day, doing yoga, the kind of the visualization, getting out, going for a walk whilst listening to a podcast, maybe um, it's finding those moments of rest and moments of recovery throughout your day. Exactly. And I think you mentioned it before as well, as well today, but 
a general brain break, like giving your mind time to wander, time to switch off from being the best performer you can be and, and giving yourself 20 minutes just to not think and, and watch something or go f- and just stare at the clouds or something silly like that and read a book. And, and I think that that is also such an important part of, it's not necessarily evidence, I don't think, or not that I know of, but, but just a way to make sure we're fresh and, and feeling nice. Yeah, being bored is an amazing thing. I'm always telling my kids this. <laughs> There's a brilliant TED talk about how being bored can, can really stimulate creativity. And yeah, just kind of doing nothing or getting out in nature is, you know, an amazing thing as well. Letting your mind wander. Um, and it's, exactly I think that's that. what I think about is that mind-body connection and kind of always making, always keeping the two in check, taking mm-hmm. care of both. Exactly that. And, and if you go for a wander, then, then it was said by a famous poet that your mind wanders and your body wanders. And so, yeah, I think that that's a lovely place, place to leave it as such today. But I want to ask you what, what do you think a recovery day would look like for you? Yeah. So or generally me, to you. Yeah. Yeah. Or well, for me, what kind of people that I've worked with, it would look like that, like starting off with meditation. So actually starting your morning with that, with um, yoga or some dynamic stretching, um, then getting out into nature. So, you know, that's amazing. First thing in the morning It's great for your circadian rhythm. So if you're thinking about your sleep. Um, getting out for a walk, maybe listening to a, um, a podcast that's kind of going to lift you up, going to inspire you. You know, most of us aren't able to kind of have that like complete day off. So you might be at work then maybe. Um, and then maybe in the afternoon you come back and you do, um, I don't know, maybe some journaling or you listen to some music. Um, you do probably some more stretching because you're going to want to you the whole point of a recovery day is to get back to that kind of homeostasis um and not not just kind of being flat out on the sofa so that kind of active you might go for a gentle run in the afternoon or a kind of easy bike maybe with friends so then you've got that kind of social aspect as well which we haven't touched upon but that's really important um and then yeah making sure that you have a have nutritious meals throughout the day you're fueling your body um you're taking the kind of the right supplements that you need and then actually focusing on bedtime so having that kind of clear nighttime routine focusing on sleep hygiene and getting the full hours you know at least eight hours of sleep and depending on what you've been doing maybe kind of nine or ten hours of sleep if you're able to so that yeah that's one day one way that you could kind of plan (laughs) plan a recovery day (laughs) and it and it is a huge undertaking in itself and and one where we can allocate so much time and it's needed time um and yeah, it, it fits beautifully in as well to the challenge of the week that you mentioned, going out with a friend and, and taking an easy activity with a friend and, and using it as social time as well as recovery and, and turning time. And so I want to ask finally is how do you think we could offer or, or what, what, what would you suggest on going away for someone to do if, if they're wanting to look at ways to improve recovery? Yeah, so what I'd say is look at look at your training schedule, make sure that you've got adequate time scheduled in. And I'm really happy if anyone wants to kind of pick my brain on it, you know, let me know what what your training normally looks like. And then I can give you some advice around how often you should be having recovery. But just checking that that time is in there. 
But then going deeper than that is one thing to actually have it in the plan. It's one. It's another thing to actually have a, a good recovery day and what that looks like to you. So maybe kind of take some of the points that I've mentioned in this podcast. Um, try them out. See what works for you. Come up with your own recovery plan so that you know what that recovery day looks like. But then also go that one step further than that and look at your day as a whole, um, aside of that full recovery day and look at where you can have moments of recovery, of rest, moments where you can, yeah, like we're saying, kind of rest your mind as well and kind of have that mental breather too and prioritize that, you know, make sure, keep, keep yourself accountable, maybe post in the JK Journey group. Um, I find that that's what I do my own myself. I have like my own mindset coaching group that I'm part of. And every day I'll post in there to say when I've done these little elements of self-care or of recovery. So actually keeping yourself accountable, letting other people know what your plan looks like and then let us know when you've stuck to it and when you haven't, because that's a big part is actually owning up when you haven't and working out why you weren't able to and what you can change so that you can reach that um, in the mm. coming days and weeks. And and on Rosie's own mindset groups there, Rosie does actually have a, they, they or has recently launched a, an inspired action group, which is a six week online program based around uh, giving athletes uh, a toolkit for mindset, goal setting and, and performance. And, and so in line with the JK journey, but it's about achieving your fitness goal while living the life that you love. Um, and now she's meant, she's noted here to me that doors close on the 18th of February. Um, so for those listening, uh, great chance to get involved. Uh, and there's only, I believe eight or nine slots left in, in what is a, a really exciting first launch of this inspired action group. So definitely worth checking out. Um, and for those in the JK journey, we'll have a link ready for you. Um, now for everyone else, we just want to say thank you again for listening into the JK journey podcast. It's the podcast designed to make you the happiest, fittest and most informed athlete that you can be. Um, and so, yeah, we just want to thank you again. Remember to share us with friends and family and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks again.